if you can see what the data is and, and not have to kind of keep that view in your imagination, I think that can be quite important. everyone, welcome to a new episode of Data Stories. My name is Moritz Stefana and I'm an independent designer of data visualizations. And actually I work here as a self-employed truth and beauty operator out of my office here in the countryside in the north of Germany. And I am Enrico Bertini. I am a professor at New York University in New York City, where I teach and do research in data visualization. Right. And we somehow ended up doing this podcast together. And on this podcast, <laughs> we talk about data visualization mostly, but also data analysis and generally the role data plays in our lives. And usually we do that with a guest we invite on the show. Yes. But before we start, just a quick note. Our podcast is now listener supported, so there's no ads. So if you enjoy the show, please consider supporting us with recurring payments on Patreon dot com slash data stories or now you can also send us one-time donations on paypal by going to paypal.me slash data stories yeah that would be awesome so we appreciate really uh your support um and it's always great for us just to listen to hear from our listeners and uh, uh, we also had a fantastic listener meetup in berlin a couple of weeks yes. ago by now yeah uh, <laughs> which was so nice because we, we get to meet you know the people that you normally just Uh, like in touch with on Twitter or through the podcast. Uh, it's also great to to put a face to the names and get some direct feedback. Yeah, I think everyone had so much fun. And uh, yeah, it was great to see so many people, <laughs> right, in real life. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was really cool. Yeah, and we, we also, we think a lot about like, should we do the podcast longer, shorter, different, stay the same, different guests, same guests, right? And so if you have any opinions on... On what works in your mind or what you enjoy the most, just let us know. We, we always enjoy hearing from you. Yes. And uh, before we start, I just wanted to briefly talk about a new blog that I started with a few other people. Um, so with Jessica Holman, Daniel Zafir and Robert Kosara. And uh, the, the blog is called Multiple Views Research Explained, So, which is pretty much self-explanatory. But the idea here is to have more researchers from from the world of visualization um, basically express or describe what they do to a broader audience. And uh, I'm really excited about this project. This is something that is really close to my heart. And um, I'm really happy, happy that this is happening. There are already a few blog posts out there. So most of them, since we started, um, I would say we perfected this idea when we were at Viz all together. And uh, so the first few blog posts were about what happened at this. And, uh, but we already have a few more posts. There is a recent one on visualization literacy that I really enjoyed by Michael Correll. And uh, it's not only us writing these blog posts. Actually, most of the time we expect other researchers to, to write blog posts and we act as editors. 
So the, the, the blog is hosted on Medium. If you just search for multiple views, Medium or something like that, you will, you will find it. And of course, we'll put the link in the show notes. And yeah, I think it's fantastic. And I really, I think it's a current trend also to put more research into more digestible form and like Medium posts, short videos and so on. And I, I really always enjoy it for me. I don't really get to read all the papers or I don't spend so much time on of it. Course. But if I have a, a blog post, I'm, I'm, I'm open to <laughs> consuming a bit of, <laughs> bit of science. Right? So it's, that's always yes. great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly the idea. Yeah. yeah. And I think that also fits our main theme today uh, because yeah. it's also a lot about like how to get practical tools out of academia research, how to yeah, foster innovation, create maybe a whole new generation of database tools because we, um, yeah, we observed this trend that there's like a whole uh, family of tools coming out now they ha that sort of share a certain, maybe a certain conceptual underpinning and a certain uh, new style of thinking about data visualization tools. And so we wanted to dis uh, discuss it with uh, one of the real experts in uh, practical data visualization, Andy Kirk. Hi, Andy. <laughs> hey, Andy. Hi, guys. How are you doing? Good to be back. Yeah, great to have you back. I mean, we first invited, of course, Robert Kazara, but he didn't have time. So um, <laughs> here we are. That's so rude. <laughs> Andy, can you tell us a bit about yourself? <laughs> yeah, sure. I'm um, I'm a DataViz freelancer based in the north of England. Um, so I do uh, training courses, consultancy, design work, write books, various things, do podcast recordings. Um, and so, yeah, I, I guess one of the things that characterizes my work is I'm in contact with, shall we say, everyday people, the, the analysts of the world, yeah, the, right. the practitioners out there working in organizations who are, I guess, trying to find practical means to to do visualization in their day jobs alongside everything else that they do and, yeah. and all the kind of battles that they face in getting technology approved and access to it. So, um, you know, when we as, you know, academics or freelancers see the launch of new tools, we get quite excited for the bespoke nature that they offer for us. But it's uh, interesting how then that cascades into, into the real world, shall we say. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you've done like dozens or hundreds probably of, of workshops by now, right? And so you, yeah, you, yeah. you do have a lot of uh, grasp on uh, what people grapple with in, in like corporate settings or big organizations and what makes it easy or not so easy to put out good graphics, right? That's right, yeah. yeah. And I guess, you know, in, in all the workshops I do, I'm, I'm effectively trying to translate here's the stuff that the talented people out there doing the designers, the developers, the freelancers, the the people in newsrooms and trying to make that accessible to, to everyone else. So yeah. it's a challenge, but you know, there's so much appetite out there. And so when you do see new tools come out, it is kind of an exciting new frontier for people. Yeah. 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 And I think that's already at the heart of what we want to talk about today. So maybe we should talk before we go into all these new tools, maybe talk a bit about the, The, the sort of big families of tools that are around, by the way, on visualizingdata.com slash resources or something like this, right? Yeah. So we'll put the link in the show notes. There's a big list of all the data visualization tools. And so if you look for great mapping tools. About 350 or, uh, charting on, tools. I'm due to put some yeah, updates like, on there, but yeah. about 350 on there. Loads of tools. So, um, And I think a lot of them treat chart design or data visualization design in sort of a cookie cutter way in a sense that 
they have a notion of there are some pre-existing templates or some pre-existing chart types like a bar chart or a line chart or a bubble chart or a tree map. So it's sort of a uh, yeah, specific template. And then mm. you pour in your data. And if you're lucky, the data fits you know, that template <laughs> and it looks good. Or if it doesn't fit, then you're sort of stuck with a limited set of configuration options to somehow make it work. Or you have to sort of massage the data so it flows into the template <laughs> in a good way. And I think that applies to Excel, but also like really cool new tools like Flourish, uh, which is yeah. definitely like worth mentioning, uh, or Raw Graphs. Both are really, really cool tools where you can do really interesting uh, graphics. But in the end, you're sort of deciding first on the idiom or the, the chart type and then yeah. Yeah, pour in the data, right? Yeah, and, and and for some people, and I, th I think to a certain degree, the way that I think about this as well, it it, it often suits me to do that. Because sure. I often think yeah. of charts, not even so much in terms of what, how they look, but what they stand for as a, I'm reluctant to say storytelling device, but as a, as a portrayal of information. What you know, If you're picking a line chart, well, you know that you're doing that because you've got a story over time to show people. So I... I find it helpful to think about charts often that way because they come with this inherent sort of meta package of information in terms of what they will editorially show your audience. So sure. yeah. it often works like that way. But as you say, equally, sometimes you end up having to sort of reverse engineer the data to fit that chart. And and sometimes that can then distort actually what, what you have in your data to actually say. Mm. Yeah, and with these generic like template tools, it's often very hard to do great annotations or to right. find exactly the right graphical form or to do something really memorable, something that really stands out, something that's very, maybe also shows that they're, um, yeah, they give it the human touch, you know, it could, like it can look very repetitive if, if you're constantly confronted with the same <laughs> looking charts, you know, it gets yeah. a bit boring. And so, yeah, people get excited about creating new graphical forms, crafting something really to 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 perfection also. And for some graphics, that can be great, I think, to, to really finish these last 20% that these standardized tools don't <laughs> give you so well. <laughs> but this is very cumbersome, lots of work often, like manual work in terms of moving labels around and like exploring different graphical shapes or so. Or you have to be able to code. So many people who do this type of advanced visualizations, they will resort to D3 or other libraries where they can do whatever they want if yeah. they can code really well, right? <laughs> and yeah, for many years, that's been the big like dichotomy there, right? Yeah, and, and I think with that, you've got, um, you've, you've got this sort of separation, I think, between tools that help you to represent data, whether that's from the ground up through visual encoding or whether it's more top-down through picking a chart, template, as, you, as you've mentioned. But then that separation from that task versus the other, let's say, sort of presentation tasks of adding titles and headings and labels and colouring things and arranging things so you work out what's the biggest, the smallest, where will it all go. So that, that's more about the sort of finessing side of this thing. And what it, I think what it comes down to in terms of what people want, uh, you know, speaking on behalf of the entire population of the world right now, um, is, is control. <laughs> as, as you want does. control. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> but you want to control things. Um, yeah. And there's often the term used in the field of expressiveness. You know, How expressive yeah. mm -hmm. can you be? I think that expands to even small things like controlling the appearance of a tick mark or a, you know, a footnote. So 
you know, tools that offer you the means to do this are, are important. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to say Tableau is sort of in the middle. So I, you know, use Tableau a lot. And if you, if you, if you beat it hard enough, you can do something really interesting <laughs> with it. <laughs> But yeah. I think everybody who does or works a lot with these standardized like libraries or uh, tools always hits a wall at some point. So like, ah, why can't I just, arc? you know, like <laughs> uh, there's always, a, yeah, you feel you're sort of boxed into a certain uh, environment. Right. And, and now we have a whole like development line of new tools to sort of try to bring this creative, playful, free data expression <laughs> approach <laughs> yeah. uh, into uh, Uh, user interfaces that don't require coding. I think that's that's really what, what's like, that seems to be like a thing in the air right now. So we have quite a lot of tools. We have seen a few years ago already Lyra. I think we even talked about it with uh, Jeff Hare back in the day on this mm -hmm. podcast. We'll link back to that episode. Was done, um, yeah, University of Washington or maybe Stanford before where where yeah. Jeff was. I'm not sure. Together with Arvind uh, Satyanarayan. And I think this one was the first, at least in my mind, where this fundamental new idea of, okay, let's, let's do something like a graphics editing program, but some of the things you draw are sort of governed by data and they are sort of affected by how the data values change and you can bind let's say the height of a bar, you know, you can somehow bind that to a dimension in your data and whenever the data changes, it updates. As if it right. was programmed, right? And that was like five years ago, maybe? Yeah, let's say four, yeah, about right. four yeah. or five-ish years. And then we've seen data-driven guides that came, I think, something like two years later, which later um, was the foundation for Data Illustrator that we will talk more about. Um, I think coming out of Adobe mostly, but also um, with Hans-Peter Fist at Harvard. Uh, so that's another tool going in that direction, bit different in approach because the guides were sort of backbones and you could sort of steer these, these guides and then they mm. would create the graphics. Quite interesting approach, mm. actually. Brad Richter had great stuff on drawing dynamic visualizations like concept sketches and like prototypes on, on very similar ideas as well. And, um, I yeah, and now we words. have a couple of really full-fledged tools built on that. Yeah, but I think the word there, drawing, is the key word. I think that's the... Mm. the kind of quintessential essence of these yeah. um, new tools, which is to give you something that gives you that expressiveness and control where you can kind of see what you're doing at the time. I guess there's always that leap with programming whereby, you know, you, you're writing script and you don't always kind of see the consequence of that until you've, you know, compiled it, run it, whatever. And, um, and it, I guess that can sometimes, for those who are not fluent in code, that can sometimes kind of create an interruption Mm -hmm. you know, with the flow of decision-making or the flow of creativity. So what's, you know, what's interesting about these is they do kind of put an emphasis on you seeing what you're doing, but in, in a slightly more um, sort of data-led way. Right, right, right. So the, the three tools I think we want to talk a bit more about in depth today are, on the one hand, Charticulator. Funny name. <laughs> I quite um, like it, actually. <laughs> which just came out and was just presented at this InfoWiz, so it's quite fresh. Uh, it's from Donghao Ren, Bongjin Lee, and Matthew Bremer. Um, so the last two are Microsoft Research, and Donghao Ren is from University of California in Santa Barbara. And yeah, it's a research prototype, so it's 
we should mention yeah, all of these things we're talking about now are more prototypes or explorations rather than tools you can buy straight away, right. unfortunately, but maybe we'll get there at some point. <laughs> and Jarticulator is quite nice. It's um, It has a quite unique approach. Basically, you have, so you can load in your data and you have some basic graphic primitives, more or less. And then you have yeah. a little glyph window and you can drag aspects of your data, like certain dimensions, into aspects of that glyph, like a graphical symbol. And so anything um, where you compose a graphic out of individual elements and some things of these individual elements like change systematically with the data. Let's say you would make, I don't know, you have countries and you draw them like flowers. I mean, that's an yeah. insane idea, but let's say you would do that. And then <laughs> you could say like each, di <laughs> each dimension, <laughs> who would ever do that? But each dimension could be one of the petals, you know, just spitballing here, but uh, it could be... <laughs> <laughs> then the length could be the score, you know, whatever you can come up with. Um, so, and and you would just specify that by dragging, like you know, the score on the length part of that glyph, and and uh, the I don't know the the dimension name on something yeah. else, and so on. So uh, that's how you would establish that relation between the data and the graphic, right? Yeah, and you know, with again with the sort of notion of the flower, it will be. Sort of geometrically calculated for you. So, you know, if you've got 11 petals, shall we say, um, <laughs> it will work that out for you. <laughs> Whereas if you're doing that in, uh, let's say, Illustrator as it stands, you're doing some quick, quick mathematics in a, in a spreadsheet. What's 360 divided by uh, mm. 11? And then you're kind of rotating, uh, duplicating and rotating shapes by hand. So, yeah, that's one of the beauties of, you know, because we, as we know, geometric precision and accuracy is fundamental to whether you're creating a, yeah. Uh, a chart that's correct or not. Yeah, and what's interesting about Charticulator as well is you don't just create a graphic, or at least that's what uh, the inventors and developers have in mind, um, but you also specify sort of an abstract structure that you could also reuse in other contexts. And I think right. that brings it very close to Lyra, which was, if from one perspective was more like a front end to Vega, you know, in some way, mm -hmm. like yeah. into yeah. an abstract specification of a chart that you could also draw in different ways. And so I think that's another fundamental distinction between some of the tools. Like some think about, okay, how, what is the architecture of the thing and, and how can we formulate that maybe in a grammar of graphics or similar style uh, and then create a different visual rendition. And others are more like, yeah, people want to work on the visual directly and the visual is, is the outcome and that's it, yeah. right? And so... Um, I think both approaches have have sort of their their merits or their ups, uh, up and downs, but um, this seems to be a fundamental difference. If you think, yeah, uh, uh, like which which also which which reuse situations you have in mind, maybe. Yeah, and I think as we'll talk about shortly, how these tools going forward succeed or become embedded in, you know, again, sort of everyday organizational practice. Well. Reusability is critical. If you know a lot of people, for example, are making weekly, monthly reports, and so if you've got the ability to create the notion of templates that can be just replugged mm. in with new data, that's a very attractive proposition. So you you invest the time up front to get the thing right, yeah. But then you've got the ability to to, to reappropriate that template for one of a better term yeah. uh, each each month thereafter each period thereafter also whenever i work with like large organization or anything reporting you know 
the, the number one feature request is always, can we next year just put in the new data and generate a PDF out of it? <laughs> you know? yeah. It's, like, yeah. it's the, the, the one feature request, right? And hopefully yeah. these types of tools could make this thing much easier, hopefully, right? I think so, yeah. And one of the, one of the benefits of um, Charticulator is how it has, um, it has a relationship potentially with Power BI. Now, I, I'm not a... Um, a user of Power BI, mm. I believe, I might be wrong, but I believe it's only available on Windows machines. But um, that's effectively, a, it's not an extension of Excel, but it's part of the Microsoft suite. And mm-hmm. I've, um, I, I guess I've seen sort of mixed responses to Power BI, but one of the attractive things, as we've just mentioned at the start there, is if you've got the ability to, to customise things and to create custom templates or visuals, that can be an attractive proposition to expand your visual vocabulary. And as far as I understand, Charticular allows you to create effectively a design that can then be exported into Power BI mm. and used as a template from yeah. there, which you know will be fantastic for those people who are you know who are doing some good stuff in Power BI. Sure, and I mean just being somehow being attached to a larger ecosystem can be a huge plus uh, in terms of absolutely adoption and then um, re- reusability. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, the same hope we have, obviously, also for two projects coming out of Adobe, <laughs> which is sort of uh, funny too. Uh, and it's Data Illustrator and Project Lincoln. Um, they both came out of Adobe and are being actively developed. Um, and of course, there's the hope as well. Adobe is like the biggest probably manufacturer of, of graphic software on the planet. So some of these <laughs> these cool new so concepts might, you know, so, yeah, might be integrated in, into the, the professional tools they offer, right? So and you kind of think where have, where have they been? And um, yeah, th- so the first one is is Data Illustrator uh, from Leo Liu and John Thompson and, and many others. So there's a big team around it and they they really put together a great working and looking um prototype. I think it's Especially for an academic product, already quite quite advanced, right? And this one is much more, I think, vector graphics driven, much much closer to drawing tools like Illustrator, where you have a big canvas, you can mix graphics with, like, data graphics with non-data graphics, stuff like this, zoom and pan. So it's a big big space. You can just make a huge graphic if you like, and. It has a bit of a, a different paradigm. So instead of more thinking about glyphs and how you can repeat like basic elements, um, this uh, data illustrator allows you to also start with a big shape and start to subdivide it. Like let's take a big rectangle and break it into a grid or something like this. Or you can also go up and say like, let's take something small, but multiply it up, right? And say, let's make one circle, but now one circle for each country or something like this. And I think it's it's sort of a neat, um, clever thing, especially because small multiples and nesting and grids mm. are always a pain in any other program. <laughs> so <laughs> yes. you immediately get buy-in from like all the, the pain people who try to do small multiples in Tableau that are not just strictly in rows or columns. Yes. Everybody's like, yeah, finally, it's, it's a real grid. <laughs> I can't believe it. So that's, that's already like a huge plus. Uh, and it has great documentation too. So it's, um, yeah, I, th- I think you can see that they put in a lot of work into it. Um, and yeah, yeah. Uh, so as far as I know, the the that's one of the main differences to Charticulator, which is again, if I'm correct, that Charticulator kind of operates more as sort of individual chart, single chart level, whereas Data Illustrator allows you the scope to you know as, mul- as Moritz just mentioned to to multiply 
multiple panels for different views or multiple columns for different layouts. So yeah, I mean, that's, that's a, an appealing prospect. And, you know, the, there are, it, it's hard to, I often find it hard to equate how many people out there ha- are largely developing visualizations or infographics in Illustrator. I mean, certainly in my workflow, I often end up in Illustrator, but mm-hmm. it's usually as a result of creating charts elsewhere. So I guess classically, you might create, a, I don't know, maybe a chart in Tableau, then take it out into, uh, into, uh, Illustrator, then sort of, you know, sort of finesse it from there or, use something like raw graphs that we mentioned at the start to create an initial mm. data-driven shape and then, again, take it out as a vector and put it into Illustrator and, and sort of build a piece from there. So I'm sure there are lots of people out there who who have a similar sort of workflow and, you know, I think we all have experienced the limitations of Adobe Illustrator's existing chart tools, which are, yeah. you know, quite primitive. But this feels like a long overdue um signal of taking this this whole world a bit more seriously i think yeah and the, the big gap is really often let's say you use raw graphics so there you can load a table you can pick the bubble chart you assign the colors to this mm-hmm. the income and the size to you know what the the population or something like this and then so this is the dynamic data mapping data binding part and then you export and then you go into Illustrator and, and move all the labels yeah. around, make yeah. the fonts cool and, yeah. you know, do gradients as fillings and whatnot and do all the, the touch up that makes it nice. But now if the data changes, you have to go back and that's right. Yeah. Redo yeah. the touch up part because it's sort of, it, yeah, it was in that Broken. chapter of work <laughs> before, right? It's mm. like, and this is always this fundamental like disconnect. And I think this is what tools like Data Illustrator or Project Lincoln also, especially, which is the third one uh, in this in this family, um, solve really well. Is like you establish the binding, but you can still move things around, make them bigger, smaller, you know, do variations on them. But the binding <laughs> is still intact, and whenever you change the data, the relevant stuff will change, but it won't break your touch up, yeah, uh, work, which is yeah. which is fantastic. And and Project Lincoln, Bernard Kerr um, did a great demo, I think, last year. Uh, at a big Adobe conference, and he showed how it works. And I think his his approach is it's very similar to Data Illustrator, I think. And also, they have been working together quite a bit. Um, these two teams um, comes out of Adobe as well. And but I think his approach is more. He comes more from a, a designer's point of view. Like, how would you think about what a graphic designer does in Illustrator or um, InDesign or something, and then introduce this new idea of data binding into that workflow rather than thinking about, okay, mm-hmm. you're a data visualization person, right? And now how could you make more creative graphics? But yeah. I think he thinks more about, okay, you're a graphic designer. How could you now profit from all this, these new cool ways of designing with data? And um, yeah, and I think he has a great, great prototype there as well in terms of it's really focused and really very expressive and, and powerful. So both, both these programs are from Adobe, right? So do mm-hmm. you have, do you know anything about what is happening inside Adobe? They're, they have, they basically have two parallel projects and similar goals or, or what? Yeah, I think, I mean, Andy also, I think you have also followed uh, the development of Project Lincoln a bit. That's I've right. been in touch with Bernard Kerr. We also got input, by the way, from the other teams, from Charticulator and Data Illustrator. So we yeah. were a bit in touch about their plans and what they think are the key yeah. features and so yeah. on. And um, I think all of the three hope, you know, to turn their 
products into or their prototypes into something that becomes into part of final product of yeah. course because this is when yeah when, when it really happens right and so but of course all of them come from from big companies right exactly so yeah and you said already it's like the space race of database right <laughs> yeah <laughs> right yeah i mean uh, you could, i also compared it to um Alien versus <laughs> Alien versus Predator, where whoever wins, <laughs> well, we win. Yeah, in, in the movie. just give us something. <laughs> like, That's it. Yeah, I'm wondering <laughs> if Tableau is doing something internally, it's right? They, they may yeah. be mm. planning for something like that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. probably. But yeah. I think one of the things that this that Lincoln, uh, similar to, to the others, really, d um, I guess, does is it, it kind of asks you to do your preparatory exploratory thinking elsewhere it doesn't mm. attempt to be the the single tool that will do everything um the minute you get acquainted with your data and i think some people like to have this uh, i guess self-contained flow whereby you get the data you start to explore it you look at it you, yeah. you manipulate it and then you do visuals from there i think when you are entering both uh oh, sorry all these tools in a sense you've done your groundwork elsewhere you kind of know the rough prototype design mm. concept you're going for this is the the translating of that concept whereas other tools you might be more kind of live experimenting to see what could work well mm. Mm. so you think for all of them you would need something before in terms of exploratory data analysis to just understand what what the interesting dimensions so. are and so on but that, that can also yeah. overplay i mean you know, there are many cases, of course, when you do need to explore data. Oftentimes, I think you might actually, you kind of play the need for that in some data sets that might just be quite simple and straightforward, and you know roughly already what you're going to show. So yeah. on those occasions, you know, just jump straight in. Yeah, yeah. I think when you've got a larger, more complex, perhaps more unfamiliar data set, then you, you do still need that stage before. Um, one of the things I'm not quite clear on, having not really experiment to, to a great degree of all the tools is to what extent you can see your data. Mm. I mean, one of the things that I often mm. find slightly frustrating, let's say about <laughs> Tableau, is you can't always envisage what your data looks like unless you actively go and choose a data set view. Where sometimes, with, with, you know, something like Excel, you can just see the, the data set right next to where your chart is being yeah. up. So yeah. if you can see mm. what the data is and... and um, and not have to kind of keep that view in your imagination. I think that can be quite important. Mm. Open Refine is, is a fantastic tool for looking at yes. just yeah. a table yeah. of data, understanding the distributions, understanding yes. like the gaps or the funny, sp funny <laughs> spits of the data. So if somebody would like connect to Open Refine really well, I, I would be game for that. <laughs> like, that. That would be really, pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. But is it still maintained by someone? Oh yeah. So yeah, yeah. It's, it's oh, being, really? yeah, they oh. just put out a new release uh, and it's, it's actively oh. being developed further. Yep. Oh, okay. Great. Yeah. I thought it was discontinued. Yeah. yeah. No, the story continues. It's good. So, yeah, but I think that's true. And I think that also touches a bit on, okay, what are now these workflows that we support, right? And where do these tools fit in? Is it like just towards the end when you like do the cool graphic, but everything else, <laughs> the substantial like data work has happened before? Mm. Or do you use them also quickly to sketch out a lot of ideas? I could see potential also for quickly sketching many different views of yeah. the data and then picking what is the most effective one. You know, if you realize, oh, if we encode the population by, I don't know, with color, it's, it's you know, you don't really see the, the subtle mm -hmm. nuances. We should maybe use areas, something like this. 
could be very quick to try out in these tools, hopefully, and, and then easy to to judge the differences. Yeah. Um, and so I, I would say it, there could be an exploratory component to it because whenever you can do rapid variation, you automatically get more ideas in, in a shorter amount of time and less lock-in into your design ideas. So if you invest True. a lot of work, it's very precious, and so you don't throw it away. <laughs> but if it's very easy <laughs> to to switch things up, um, um, that that totally changes things. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I'm wondering is uh, I'm playing Davis advocate here, but with more freedom, right? We may also see a lot more terrible things out there, right? <laughs> so in a way, one thing I really like about tools like like mm. Tableau is that in a way it's constrained enough that it's hard to do crazy things with it, right? And with these tools, it looks to me that now you have much more freedom <laughs> and right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can already envision what, what the outcome is gonna be, yeah, right? Yeah. So I think we're gonna have a lot of um, <laughs> You're not sure if people are ready for all this freedom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I mean, we may also see that, of course, as if with any other tool, right? With more freedom, we may see some people who use it in a very intelligent way and very innovative way, and they create completely new stuff that blows our mind, yeah. and at the same time, terrible things. Right, right. Yeah, and I think that kind of goes back to the, um, one of the points I started off with, with the idea that for those who are, you know, let's say, beginners or maybe at an intermediate level, the, the notion of selecting charts, these sort of pre-prepared meals or recipes, if you like, is often a more comfortable entry point than actually starting from the ground up of mm. ingredients. Um, so I, I think you're right. I think it's, it's something whereby you can imagine being quite overfaced with the, the sort of possibility space of, of some of these tools, if you're not already kind of overfaced with the, the general idea of what you're going for. But mm. I think, yeah, I mean, one of the, you know, one of the, the features of Tableau, for example, that of, people often cite as being quite a, a nice sort of sort of police, <laughs> policing of good practices is the show me feature. And I think that's often quite a nice example of a, a tool that allows you to do lots of things, but still kind of guides you to say, no, hang on, you don't have yeah. enough uh, categories to do that thing. Mm, so mm. Come, back to, yeah. come back to me when you've got some of those. <laughs> yeah, that's the interesting thing about Charticulator also. It's that, so it's a bit based on the idea that um, you specify a certain intent Similar as in Tableau, right? And then the tool tries to figure out how to interpret that in the in the best way. Right. And so they have a constraint solver in the background, which sort of tries to find you know the optimal like graphical representation of that intent you specified. Mm. And and that that can be one way to sort of work in a bit of, um, um, yeah, good good charting roles or like to avoid the the worst in the foot shooting uh, situations. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, but that's again, yeah, it's really freedom versus like how how prescriptive or how expressive is a tool. There is sort of a, of course, an inverse relationship there, right? Yeah, and, and I mean, there's, there's a lot of the tools that we see, and we mentioned Flourish at the start. I, I suppose a lot of their aims kind of circles around the notion of doing complex things simply. Yeah, which is, I would say, the most ambitious um, segment of this technology marketplace really because I mean that, that's just inherently very hard to do I mean D3 for example 
you can do very complex things, but with a complicated solution, you've got to learn a lot to get to the other side of that sort of mastery. But I think this is a, you know, I'm very ambitious, but once again, I, I think the, the users out there will benefit once ever these settle down into actual products in the, um, that's kind of available for people to use and to buy and to mm. start to get yeah. expertise yeah. in. Yeah. But I, I do personally suspect that there are lots of people out there, especially the most creative people types who've been learning D3 because they want more freedom. And if they had a powerful tool like this one, they would rather use this one. Definitely. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But that sort of comes to the question, like what is the gap these tools fill? And yeah, it's like how, how big is that gap really? Or is it, in my mind, it could be huge or it could be really small. I'm really super undecided. It's like, I, I think my sense is that there are a lot of people out there whose job is to do visualization, who really care about creating unique visuals because it's part of their branding, mm. right? Mm. And also a lot of graphic designers moving into like database design. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah. That's my right. Y yes, you can have. I mean, the freelancers types like you, right? You want to have a very specific kind of visual, right? Right. But you also have in data journalism is the same. You want certain type of graphics to look like my graphics, right? Yeah. Which is also true for very simple ones, mm. right? So I think different different newspapers have have. I think they spend a lot of time thinking what is my style and how can I use it through all the graphics that I generate, right? I'm thinking, I don't know. It, that's definitely true for, for well, I, I think, don't know, the economist, right? You see, a, you see a chart from the economist, you recognize that it's from, from the economist. Yeah. And I think a lot of these organizations, the newsrooms spend and invest a lot of time and energy in effect creating not just style guidelines, but also sort of charts, Templates or script templates, things yes. that are ready to go off the shelf, so that yes. when it comes to a breaking news cycle, they're not sat there thinking, "How do I make this chart again?" They're, they're <laughs> thinking along the stream of what is the story, what is the thing that we need to show about this. So, and I think that for for a lot of newsrooms and by extension organisations who do often have a, an implied branding or style guide to um, accommodate the ability of any of these tools to offer that sense of a um, you know, a, a preloaded style, maybe in, in advance. So you're not always starting from scratch with the same, you know, a, a empty color palette. It could be quite an advan advantage for any one of them that does offer that. Yeah, yeah, and I think yeah, it's, but it's going to be critical to find really um, some very clear improvement for for a certain like group of people, and that that is so strong yeah. that there's this this huge pull towards that tool. And that's always the the big challenge in introducing like new solutions that you have to have to be really much much better than any existing thing. Yeah, so, and I'm I'm yeah I'm just hoping one of them or ideally all of them can sort of find that that one hook where they can sort of get that momentum. Um, yeah, but overall I'm really excited about this whole direction of also thinking about how we design stuff in general. And I mean, mm -hmm. this is now introducing in a very minimal and, and uh, yeah, very, actually very basic way, this idea that, oh, parts of your design could be dynamic or depend on data, right? Or mm. sort of 
it's the first step of moving away from designing an image, <laughs> you know, um, yeah. uh, towards designing a system, right? And yeah, um, and this is in general, I think, very exciting. If we think about how you do web design today, it has to be responsive, it has to be um, uh, interactive, it has to be multilingual, you know. So you're not designing an image if you do a web design; you're designing a system, of course. And the yeah. same, of course, in charts, especially if they're animated or you know dynamic or um, interactive or whatnot. And um, it's kind of crazy that we don't have better tools for that. <laughs> it's really either like images or coding, and and so I'm, I'm really excited that now these ideas get get formulated so well in in, in user interfaces. Yeah, it's, I think it's important to stress, and I'm just going to check with you guys that I'm correct on this: that all these tools that we're talking about, the output is for effectively static visualizations. It's not for yeah interactive ones. Yeah. So you can, as you just kind of explained there, you can sort of join the dots going forward where this might create a whole new sort of design development interface whereby the next step would be to say, okay, let's add some um, mouse over annotations to these bars. Um, And then that moves on to let's animate this over 10 years. And so, yeah, you, you can, you can very quickly see where this could go, which is quite an exciting prospect. Yeah. Yeah. Exciting! It's uh, I'm really really curious how all this plays out. <laughs> uh, you should definitely check out all three of them, or maybe even the other ones, the the more historic ones we talked about. As I said, like Raw and Flourish are great too. Um, I just remember there's also Morph Graphics came out this summer, also through Google News Initiative, like an experiment which is much crazier, also which allows you to basically randomly encode data into shapes. <laughs> it's, a, it's a fun one too. So there's a lot of really, really cool um, data visualization tools out by now. And again, most of them at prototype stage. So fingers crossed they will make it into production. And um, yeah, let us know what you think about them. Create some cool graphics. Send them on Twitter and we'll retweet them maybe. Um. Yeah. <laughs> and we're going to put all the links in the show oh, notes. Yeah. So I think this is going to be a long blog post. Go there the and try them out, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just try them out and yeah, yeah. see how they look like. They're pretty advanced for being prototypes. That's absolutely that's, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. And yeah. there's videos for them, and there's like really yeah. good documentation. Old there's galleries. galleries. That's galleries what I love about the galleries. Projects. Look stunning. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. And everybody's doing the same graphics, like the weather radios <laughs> and Accurate yeah. Remix. Um, you know, it's, it's like the, that's also funny. There has been now. There's now this sort of repertoire of standard creative data visualization, a bit like jazz standards, you know? And now they all show how you can do the weather radios, <laughs> like, like yeah, take five, yeah. basically. Yeah, it's yeah, no yeah, longer it's... just the sort of sales <laughs> transaction data set. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the Playfair, of course, you know, so it's, yeah. it's kind yeah, of These are somewhat too. iconic visualizations yeah. that, is some, that is hard to create with standard tools. Right? Exactly, exactly. So but that also so shows you how, how they could be used. Um, yeah. So it's it's cool, yeah. So, so I guess we just need to wait for who becomes the VHS and who becomes the Betamax, <laughs> or for, for, for younger listeners, uh, <laughs> Blu-ray or DVD, HD, yeah. whatever it was, yeah. 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 Ne- Netflix or Blockbuster. That's it. <laughs> 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 Ask your parents. Yeah.
We'll see. But I mean, it always goes on as we have shown already, you know, it's like there's a whole lineage of tools and I think this, this whole area will just grow and grow and, and, uh, will, will give us really, really cool tools to work with. Also, if you think about tablets and VR, AR, I mean, come on, there, there's going to be really cool stuff out there in a few years. Well, so. I, I think one of the, one of the key things that, and I know this has been expressed by a few of the people who've, who've been behind these tools, it's, um, the importance of, the community of users now who kind of take this up. And again, if we kind of point to something like the story of Tableau Public, which just became this effectively this huge marketing tool for Tableau mm. to say, look at all the great work our people are doing. Um, people now need to use these tools and showcase what's possible and showcase not just in a gallery of look at these cool things that we've done as examples, but in real context, you know, I use this tool yeah. to create this for a, a newspaper or, or whatever. Right. So yeah, I think it's it's over to the to the community of practitioners out there now to sort of take these and uh, uh, and run with them, see what's possible, see which feels most f- sort of fluid with most people's uh, routine. That's a really excellent point, and uh, I think that means that you, as a listener, should right now check out one of these tools or two, make a cool graphic, and send it to the creators of the tool because they will yeah. be super happy <laughs> and give them feedback on what worked well, what didn't work. Because I think this is what what they all can can use really well now. It's like some community feedback. So there you have your homework. Until next time. <laughs> yeah. Next episode will be the big year review. And then we are out of 2018. Yeah. Yes. Very good. Thanks so much, Andy, for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you, guys. Lovely as always. Thanks so much. Yeah. yeah. And see you soon. Hey, folks, thanks for listening to Data Stories again. Before you leave, a few last notes. This show is now completely crowdfunded. So you can support us by going on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash data stories. And if you can spend a couple of minutes rating us on iTunes, that would be extremely helpful for the show. And here's also some information on the many ways you can get news directly from us. We're, of course, on Twitter at twitter.com slash data stories. We have a Facebook page at facebook.com slash data stories podcast, all in one word. And we also have a Slack channel uh, where you can chat with us directly. And to sign up, you can go to our homepage, datastory.es, and there is a button at the bottom of the page. And we also have an email newsletter. So if you want to get news directly into your inbox and be notified whenever we publish an episode, you can go to our homepage, datastory.es, and look for the link you find at the bottom in the footer. So one last thing we want to tell you is that we love to get in touch with our listeners, especially if you want to suggest a way to improve the show or amazing people you want us to invite or even projects you want us to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. And don't hesitate to get in touch with us. It's always a great thing for to hear from you. So see you next time. And thanks for listening to Data Stories.